In the 1960s, the miracle of jet travel opened up a whole world to people with disposable income, which in those days meant Americans. Bruce Brown, a passionate surfer and filmmaker, had the great idea to send two young surfers around the world on a mission to find the best waves. The film he put together became a viral sensation 50 years before Gangnam Style and Mr. Beast. The Endless Summer, with its dry humor and enthusiastic exploration of a huge swath of the Southern Hemisphere, is a snapshot of a bygone time. We wondered if it still had the power to entertain in today's rich ecosystem of content, so we mixed up some surfer on acid cocktails and put on our suits for a jet travel trip to the 60s. It's time for episode 90 of Toasting the Classics, The Endless Summer. Welcome to Toasting the Classics, the podcast where we take something that people call a classic and we drink something inspired by the classic while we talk about it. We are back to the normal rotation today. We've got Dave MacArthur and uh, Professor Clint Lanier. Professor Clint Lanier, yes, yeah. the proper the proper um, starting rotation for Toasting that's the right. Classics is here today. <laughs> that's so, right. My um, apologies for being gone. I had COVID. That's a good reason. Around. Yeah, I think that's around, a good so. reason. The, uh, the the disease that made Zoom possible. And, and that's true. Our podcast when we're living on different in different that's parts. That's a good point. We owe, we owe a lot to that little that little we beastie. Do. Yes, we do. We do. So uh, it was up to you to choose a movie this time. What'd you go with? I chose uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. It's called The Endless Summer. I figure okay. we haven't uh, have we had a documentary? Oh boy, it sure seems like we have. We I talked we about have. doing this one a long time ago. Yeah, and then we tabled right. it for some reason. I don't know if we have done a documentary. I mean, Red Dawn, that's kind of a documentary from <laughs> John Miller's yeah. perspective. Yeah, but, yeah um, there's a lot, there's a lot that are, you know, we want our lives to follow. But this is right. so this is a documentary. It was released in 1964 by filmmaker Bruce Brown, who is a surfer surfing enthusiast. And I guess he would say he was sort of a he was an amateur like videographer. He started with eight millimeter film and and so he would he would start taking uh, videos of people surfing and he kind of put it all together and he made this silent black and white film it sounded, uh, friend- it sounded like the first the first eight millimeter surfing film he did was literally because he was surfing at a time yeah. when people weren't surfing yes and he wanted to explain to his mother what it was he was spending his days doing so he took videos of everybody yeah. surfing and That's also right. because he hated the beach blanket bingo movies right. and yeah then, i yeah, guess that that's perception and that's yeah. Vinicello and, and whatever and yeah, right and right. what that did for the perception of surfing. So he decided to yeah. show what was actually happening. Um, right. And so the guy was super passionate about surfing um, and also just sort of a of a budding, like I said, film hobbyist, I, I guess, video hobbyist. And well, no, they went they went on a, a round the world trip stemming from Los Angeles to uh, Senegal. I think what used to be called Dakar. And then uh, Lagos, Nigeria. Dakar, Dakar's the city. Dakar's the city. Where oh, Dakar. Are. Yeah, Dakar. I'm yeah. sorry. In Senegal. Uh, Lagos. And in South Africa, uh, they were some. There? They were in Ghana. Oh, they Ghana! Went, yeah, Ghana. they went to Dakar, right. Senegal. They went to outside of Accra, Ghana, mm-hmm. and then down to Cape Town. Did they go to Nigeria? I thought they went to Lagos. Maybe. They, Lagos yeah, I think there. they did. I think they did go to Lagos. That's right. Yeah. And then so and then, and then to Cape South, Town, right? Yeah, and then to Cape Town, and then Australia, Tahiti, uh, New Zealand, Tahiti, Hawaii, and then back to the states. And it was the idea of it is you're you're following summer around the world, which is a cool idea, right? So it's mm-hmm. the endless summer. Yeah. That's what surfers all dream about is basically one stretch of a year when the waves are all perfect, the water is warm, and uh, and they can just go surfing every day. And so they were chasing this summer kind of you know around the world. Two of his friends, uh, two surfers, to be, I guess, his protagonists. And uh, mm-hmm. he followed them around, and he filmed them surfing, and he filmed them 
on these different locations, which at the time would have been exotic. It's still pretty exotic today. These aren't places that people typically go. So there's this kind of romantic, exotic, locational locationality, I guess. I think one of the and, cool uh, things about it is that this idea seems like it would have occurred to people long before this happened. Yeah. But I think the yeah. reason why it happened this way is because this is the first time in history where there's jet travel for regular people. Because True. Yeah. in the 50s, even, I remember my my friend's dad was in the was at NATO, working for NATO during the 1950s. And he was telling us how when he when he would fly to Europe in the 50s, there weren't jets yet. So you had to take a propeller plane and you had to do these hops all the way across yeah. the North Atlantic to places like Greenland along the right. way because you couldn't go that far. So I think international travel is I think we don't even understand how much easier it was in 1964 yeah. than it had been before that. Like it's right. a big difference. It's a big difference right. in how easily you can get around. People were still taking ships in the yeah. 40s and 50s to go right. across the Atlantic. Right. <laughs> right. My mom went to Hawaii in 1964 and she actually did take a prop plane. It was like a it had, I think, mm -hmm. four propellers, but it was a big prop plane. It wasn't a jet. Did they go over the they must have yeah, they went over the Atlantic because I think they left out of New York, I think, or something like they went, that. They went to New York and then from yeah. New York to Dakar. And it was, a, okay. it looked like it was a straight shot. And I don't think yeah. you could have done that in the, in the forties. In a prop plane. Not a, maybe, a prop maybe, plane at all. It was released. He came back. He did a lot of work to it that I was, I didn't know about and uh, released it in 1964. And it was a, it was a total homegrown bootstrap project. Um, mm -hmm. He basically made some other films to fund this film, was able to scrape together 50 grand, which in 50,000 in 19, it would have been 62 or 61 when he, when he, that's a lot of money. He yeah. made it a lot of money, but came back, found a, uh, a distributor and it grossed 5 million domestically. It's a lot for them. Yeah. 20, 20 million globally. And I think it's just made a ton of money since then. I mean, it's such a classic, you know, I stream it off of Amazon. It's on prime, but I own the movie as well. I've watched, I've been watching this movie for years. It's such a great movie because hmm. it has all of the things that when I was a kid, National Geographic was was one of the coolest things in the world because in the 70s, National Geographic would show you all these great exotic places. And I loved watching these Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. And, you know, and it was mm -hmm. all about this exotic, you know, locality. And sure. uh, this was made 10 years before I was born, but it was, you know, it still sort of have, it brings back that feel. Like you watch right. it and, and, and you're watching you know, what Africa looked like back then. And, oh, that's so cool. You know, what these different countries rather in Africa look like. And, and that's so neat and, and so exotic and so cool. And I'm still like it's that kind with the of, South Pacific stuff, you know. The South Pacific stuff, that, yeah, that's really yeah. But the Africa stuff is really interesting to me because I think Latin America and Africa in the middle of the 20th century were still really rural and like not yeah. that many people, right? right? It wasn't until the second half of the 20th century you get like the big boom and populations in places like Lagos and all over all over sub-Saharan Africa yeah and it it's like a video of a time that's gone you know that yes. Africa's gone you go to that place right. now there's a shanty town with yeah 200,000 people right off the beach and piles right. of garbage everywhere and stuff and yeah all these problems that come from sort of runaway population growth in that part of yeah. the world yeah so it's very different it's a very different experience like yeah like for experience, sure but viewing experience yeah see what it was like then that's the cool thing about documentaries is it does sort of freeze a moment in time mm -hmm. yeah and it shows you like this is what it looked like at then and some of them are put-ons i mean what was the famous one nanook of the north or whatever that's yeah apparently Disney that one was fake right yeah. and that was all yeah it's all staged you have inuit people but they're made to be like all you know they're like right. we don't live like that but you know he's got them in 
and yeah. you know, snow houses yeah. and all this BS. I had it's, that feeling watching yeah. this. I was like, how much of this is, is legit, right? And so I, yeah. I watched some interviews about the making of it. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely, to some extent, for instance, going to South Africa, there were definitely people surfing in South Africa all over. Mm-hmm. And, and they meet the people that surf there in the movie. Yes. So then it's not right. like they say they aren't. But that place, <clears throat> Cape St. Francis... Mm-hmm. They knew that was a good surfing spot. The whole yeah. plan of the trip originally was to fly directly to just, South just Africa. Just to go there, so yeah. Could just to go to there. St. Francis, uh-huh. yeah. Exactly. So they kind of made it sound like they just walked out to the beach and discovered this amazing place in South right. Africa. That's a little right. bit fake. But they talked about the experience of the being in Ghana and meeting the kids on the beach. And it sounded like that was just 100% what happened. They just took yeah. the boards out, started talking to all these kids, and the kids were really into it. And I have it's part of my big biggest surprise for later, but I watched an interview that had a lot to do with that um, with that visit. Yeah, there are certain things that are definitely cooked. Hey, what are we drinking? Okay, so what are we drinking? We are drinking a classic drink, and I mean classic, all the way from the early nineties. Oh, okay, um, yeah, created in the early nineties, and it's called Surfer on Acid. Is that what it's called? Surfer on Acid. <laughs> That's that was the link you sent me. That's what yeah. I made. So it's Surfer on Acid. Have you, have thought, you heard kids? Have you heard kids start referring to it as the 1900s yet? Because I've started to hear that, and it's upsetting. People are like, "This thing. This was what people did back in the 1900s." And I'm like, "Yeah, well, they, 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 no. a, they they use that as a pejorative." So yeah, okay, just to like get but, me. Uh, That's right, right. Totally. So this is made with. It's just equal parts. I'm, I'm going to probably use a little bit more than the recipe calls for, but uh, it's one ounce uh, coconut rum, mm-hmm. one ounce Jägermeister, which is big in the 90s, yeah, and then um, one ounce of pineapple juice. So that's, more than once in my life, I have sworn I'm never drinking Jägermeister again. <laughs> and, yet, and yet, once every 10 years or so, it crops back up in my life. There's a throwaway line in The Hangover. You know, They all take a, a, a shot of Jäger before the night kind of like oh, okay. melt, melts down. But there's that shot when they all take the shot, this mm-hmm. throwaway line. So like, oh God, it tastes like college. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, and if you if you've said that, then you you can kind of tell when so- when somebody went to college if they say something similar. Yep. For us, yep. it was like nowadays. It's apparently it's that cinnamon whiskey stuff. Oh, uh, what is yeah. it? Fireball. Fireball. Yeah. Today it's fireball. Back then it was Jaeger. You know what uh, I discovered though, because they don't they don't allow sales of hard liquor at convenience stores and things in new york right okay and yet they have this this plat of uh of fireball by the door and i asked the guy yeah it's it's a malt yeah they they make it turns out yeah it's just a malt liquor it's not a whiskey at all everybody calls it a whiskey but i totally thought that was just a a cinnamon shot of whiskey they were actually they were actually sued as a lawyer something you could could appreciate They, they were sued because they didn't let on about that yeah they just they sell it as if it's the regular stuff without and it, and I looked the last time I was somewhere I looked, and you have to look at the fine print, and it says malt liquor like twelve percent or something yeah. like that. I've never had this. So I'm, I'm trying it live for the first time. To me, the Malibu is dominating. I didn't measure it precisely, but it mostly tastes like Malibu to me, which is yeah. a good thing. I don't really want to taste the Jaeger. Yeah, that's not bad. No, not bad at all. It tastes like a punch. Yeah. The uh, well, I thought it was it was interesting because so the surfer on acid. I thought that was interesting because we're this film was filmed in the 60s. Mm-hmm. So, you know, kind of the height of the LSD in- introduction. And these guys seem so clean cut, don't they? Oh, I, but I think everybody did. Yeah. I think everybody yeah. did. But because there was such a stigma to not looking clean cut, even, you know, you might go, go to the beach and smoke your devil weed and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and stuff like that, but you still looked 
like you know the all-american kid they don't really they, i don't i feel like there's not a single reference to getting beers after going surfing or anything nothing like that in the entire in the entire thing there's mm -mm. the one guy goes home with a girl and they they play that for big laughs like that's yeah. so you know but that i don't even know if that's what was implied there was something right. nefarious um that's <laughs> about it and it, 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 speaking of clean cut i thought i think it's pretty hilarious that you had to wear a suit when you yes you want to <laughs> yeah that's something i was going to mention uh i want to point out so let's just talk about travel okay so that the the basics we've talked about the basics of the movie it's you know they're going around the world and surfing and, and frozen in time so some things that what makes us such a great time capsule are things like travel so you mentioned mm -hmm. being able to take a a, a jet versus a, a prop plane so that's a big deal i think it would still take probably uh i just looked it up so currently right now Today's technology, it's a 13 hour, 13 air, hours airtime from New York to Dakar. Um, really? Yes, right now. I'm assuming back then it was probably more like 15, 16, maybe something like that. A little bit longer. I, no I don't know how the technology in the planes themselves has changed since then, since we got, got the planes. I, was, got, I mean, you'd think a jet is a jet, but surely it wasn't as luxurious as like a, nowadays, I think. You know, our our air travel is crap compared to what they had. They probably had well, it depends real food on, it depends on, on dishes. They probably had real food. They probably had. They could only hire beautiful women to be stewardesses. Things right. like that. Right. But they did crash way way more often than they do today. That's well, you know, you have you have trade offs. Advantage. You have trade offs and everything. Dave. You have trade offs. That's right. <laughs> I don't know. I would be willing to risk it for uh, like a steak on an actual plate, maybe, and not yeah. having somebody's stinky bare feet poking through the armrest or something yeah, like that that's you know but the, it's it's kind of remarkable because i looked at the price right these mm -hmm. guys did you see how much they paid for their around the world tickets yes it's fourteen hundred dollars in 1964 dollars yeah right that's a lot of money that was a lot of money that's that's why well, they had to that's why he had to gather up the funds to do this you know but you know basic, what's funny basic a basic round the world ticket today costs about twice that much yeah, in twenty in yeah. twenty twenty three dollars, so like you could get one for three or four thousand dollars. That's a big difference in how much yes. it costs. Yeah, so it's, it's in um, real terms. Yeah, no, it, we've come a long way. I mean, things. It's just like anything else. I mean, you drive the price down by through popularity, mm -hmm. you know, and, yeah. and and frequent use. So at that time, you think about all the countries they went to. I would say it's a safe bet that none of them had airlines except for the US. Even Australia probably didn't have like Qantas. No, Qantas existed, but I don't know if they had jets maybe. But That's now a we really have good question. Yeah, I don't know. You would have, you I, would have people have probably been flying around Australia because it's so big since the yeah. since the airplane was invented. Well, I know so, yeah. I know they did have Qantas because Qantas okay. uh was flying like Australia to to England. I mean it was it was a colony at the time. So but I don't think New, Ze New Zealand Air might not have existed. Don't know. But I'm just saying that there, you know, it wasn't frequent to you know, and I'm sure the flights, I'm sure they didn't have a flight every day. It was maybe like once every couple of weeks that flight would come up or something like that. That was me. And, and then wearing a suit. Yeah, they're both dressed in, in suits for the flight. And every flight they went on, they're, they're dressed in a suit. I thought that was fantastic. I think um, that's wild. Yeah. I would love to see more of that. I really would. Less flip flops and Crocs and, and, and Crocs. Pajamas and Although yeah. I have to say, if there's one time you want to be comfortable in wearing Crocs and pajama pants, like being on a plane is probably one of those times. I don't know. If yeah, that's but it's just it just takes the dignity out of so much. I mean, it's like you know, you know what's funny? We used to talk about the people of Walmart, like videos, and and we don't yeah. anymore because the people of Walmart has become the people of the world. <laughs> it's become yeah. everywhere you go, you see these people with slippers and pajamas and 
Mm. You know, like and you go on a flight, you see them too, and you're like, what? You know, they say that the problem with the problem with flights is they be, they become too cheap. Mm-hmm. So they become like I was gonna say, yeah, it's the it's some of the Walmart crowd. Yeah, the, the exactly. intersection of that Venn diagram has gotten yeah. bigger. Let's just say, People and not to sound like a people. not to sound like an elitist, but there there is a difference. I think there is a there's a set of people that wear pajama bottoms and, and another set that doesn't. Don't well, I don't want to sound bottoms. like an elitist when it comes to Walmart. I, I was definitely a, a, a frequent Walmart shopper when I lived at, when I lived in in Las Cruces. I shopped at Walmart sometimes more than once a day because it was yeah. right next to my house and I needed things. But we don't have one. To my knowledge, I think there may be a Walmart like out in Brooklyn or something. So, I mean, I haven't been to Walmart since we moved out here, but it's not because I, it's not because I consider myself above Walmart. Let's just say it's because it's no <laughs> longer right next door. Also, the um, just how developed things are uh, or have become and not always in a good way, but certain things like uh, the remoteness of like Australia. Australia was, was, you know, never considered a developing country. It's all always considered part of the first world. And and yet they have, you know, gravel roads and so forth. But Australia was really rural. I mean, the the oh, entire yeah. country was. And they were surfing on the West Coast, which was, if I remember correctly. Did they start in Perth or did they go to Adelaide? Yeah, some, one of those two. But okay, I can't remember exactly the statistic, but they're further away from their capital of Sydney than they are from like Hong Kong or something ridiculous. It's, it's like the most, it's that's the most isolated big city in the world, they say. Yeah. Perth. It's. It's it's a big city. I mean, it's a million or two million people, but it's there's nothing. I mean, Adelaide, I think, is a thousand miles away or something like that. I mean, right? Yeah, there's not, just not nothing close. there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm taking up all the airtime. What are some things that you uh, noted or liked? Well, or- I, I so we're talking about jet jet travel being a new thing, but it's also surfing. Obviously, yeah. it's oh, that's true. Thing. That's a good point. So there's de- there's like they're explaining what a wipeout is, and to yeah. me, I think wipeout is almost a term that today we don't even remember as a surfing term. I mean, I think we do right. if we think about it for a minute, but it seems like oh, you wiped out, like you fell down. Right. People would say like, I just wiped out, and maybe not even know that it has anything to do with surfing. Right. What would the etymology of that's a weird wipeout? It's got. I bet it's. I bet it's from another language. I bet it sounds like something in Hawaiian. I bet that's hmm. where that comes from. Because why is is like a is like a sound they have in their words there. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking it probably is. I I want to look that up at some point. There there were other words like that. Like there were ones that I didn't know actually. Like the rip. And when you're trying to figure out what the waves are like in a certain place, it's called getting mm-hmm. being wired. You get wired. Getting getting, getting, it, getting it wired. Yeah. Getting. So it there wired. was some slang that there was some slang that is cool. Like I get what it, I get what they mean. It's like, it seems yeah. like a useful word, but didn't really catch on in broader the wipeout i think is definitely a word in the yeah, for sure so i think i think um the rip i mean i've certainly heard that before they that's a common term in surfing for, though we don't use yeah. it like in regular speech i mean i have you I, yeah. that's a good question do you have you surfed a lot is that like a part of i've of, never surfed before in my life i've always wanted to but oh um, i try i did actually try it one time ainsley had lessons and she did pretty good but mm-hmm. we were off doing something else uh, while she was doing lessons. So I would like to. I mean, the next time we, we go to somewhere with warmer water that has a surf, I think I might I might try. I say warmer water. You know, we get to the California coast maybe once or twice cold. a year, and it's just too doggone cold. cold. I can't. Yeah. I can't do but that. Would, would you like the water to be ninety one degrees like it was in Lagos? Because I feel like it's getting close to maybe cooking you if you're in that water. That's yeah. That's, that's a bit. That's a bit warm. I don't know if I've ever been in. That's like the baby pool is probably ninety one yeah, degrees. Right? right. Like that's that's really warm. He makes a point when they're talking about Hawaii early in the film. He said, uh, you know, temperature of the air seventy five degrees. Temperature of the water 
75 degrees. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. yeah, Hawaii is pretty ideal in a lot of ways, right? It probably was a yeah. lot cooler when there were less people there. I bet Hawaii was just an amazing place to go Yeah, back in the 50s and 60s. Well, I mean, it's sort of like that. If you go to Kona, the Kona area, uh, mm -hmm. which I, you know, I did in September or whatever, wherever, and well, you know, then there there weren't a lot of people there. It was pretty no. pretty sparsely. No. Uh, no, the big island, the big island's a lot more uh, like rural, like you said. Like, yeah, there's small yeah, towns really basically. There's really not yeah. any big cities there. There's a few places where you can go, but but not really a whole lot of population there. I preferred I preferred the big island. Uh, I did too. I had a much better time. I mean, we liked Oahu was nice. We went there. Kauai was really nice. Yeah. In a different sort of way. But Oahu was just kind of, I don't know, it just looked like anywhere else really in a lot of ways. It's pretty. I mean, there's still the mountains and things like that. And, yeah. the, and the, the beach was really, we went to Waikiki. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah Waikiki. Yeah. They have a really, um, at first, so I didn't really know anything about this movie going in. I, I just turned it on. I looked it up and put it on and just watched it. So the way he was talking for the first 20 minutes, I thought it was just old timey corny. Mm -hmm. And then about 20 or 30 minutes in, I got it. Like I got what they're going for as the joke, if you know what yeah. I mean. Mm -hmm. Like talking that way as a joke, not really right. talking. That way. And that, yeah. that made it, I, I started enjoying it a lot more. The sense of humor made more. It's very dry. Very dry. It took, yeah. me, it took me a little bit to catch on to it with that. Yeah, I like I like that it was, uh, like I said, completely homegrown. Uh, he, he would show this or parts of the film, like he would take it sort of on traveling and, and put on basically a show. And he would actually uh, narrate it on the spot. So he'd mm -hmm. show his 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 videos, narrate it on the spot, and have a tape player that would actually play the surf music. Right? Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't until he got everything edited and, and ready that he, he kind of put it all together. But I thought that was yeah. really interesting. That like he didn't write all this stuff out, and it makes sense. Like when you watch it, if you were to sort of write that dialogue, it's nice because it's there are certain areas where he doesn't say a thing for for a good bit, right? Mm -hmm. there'll yeah. be this kind of pause and then he'll say something silly about something or just add a note of detail a dad joke of some kind yeah dad <laughs> joke right i think if you were though to write your diet you'd have too much dialogue you would just mm -hmm. be narrating everything and he just because he was used to like i can imagine him standing at the back while everybody's watching and then him kind of doing the voice narration yeah, including yeah. The, yeah. the corny jokes and stuff i'm like Oh, that makes total sense after right. I found that out, you know. And you do it you do it a hundred times and maybe once every three times you think of like a new funny quip and yeah, people right. act. So so you yeah. I thought of it the way the way that they did that, it reminded me of I think we've talked about this before, but the way that the Beatles played ten thousand hours of shows in the yeah. clubs, Dresden and places like that. And literally just how do people react? We like that thing. Keep that thing. How do people yeah. react to that? Not so well. Don't keep that. It's like yeah, actually right. workshopping it in front of an audience. Yes. And then getting a feel for what works and keeping it, and I think it, I think it shows because it gets right. you through. I don't think that this guy is like a great comedic writer or anything, <laughs> right? But I think he put together, you know, fifty of his best quips that he'd made over six years of taking this thing around. I right. think it was, I think he said six years that they were driving around and showing it to various small audiences. Yeah, you no, know, they, they took yeah, it took him a long time. I saw an interview with him. Was it with him or with his son? I don't remember. It was one of them, either or either um, Bruce Bruce Brown or his son. Brown, huh? And he was saying that they had a rule at first not to go anywhere that was more than 10 miles from the ocean because that was uh -huh. where people would be interested. Right. And he was sitting there thinking about it. It, it. it wasn't him. It was the guy that he got to actually help distribute it. 
but he was talking that guy was looking at he looked at the map and he looked at wichita kansas on the map and he was saying that's about as far from being 10 miles from the coast as you could possibly go and so he booked a theater in wichita for a week and went there and showed it and it was just the house was packed you know for yeah. for the whole week and they ended up keeping it there for several years and like for a long time in the theater yeah. And I think that was sort of where their big theater run started was from doing that sort of thing. It kind of grew out yeah. of that. Their big one was in New York, actually New York City. He had a he had a forty eight week run at yeah, a theater. Kips Bay. Yeah, and Which um, I, I don't know. I don't know if the Kips Bay Theater is still there, but I know where Kips Bay is. It was uh, so Wichita was. It was actually Bruce Brown. He didn't have a distributor yet, so it was Brown himself okay. did Wichita as a test. Mm -hmm. He tried it there, and people loved it. He still couldn't get anybody to, any distributors for it, and so he's like, okay. So he rented out this theater, like he rented a screen himself, and he's like, I'm going to show it myself, mm -hmm. and that's when it like just took off. And then finally, distributors looked at it and they said, oh, okay, well maybe you know this thing this thing would work. Yeah, we'll go ahead and take it. And the distributor that he picked was the one that said, leave it as is. Like all these other distributors wanted him to make changes, including to the poster, which mm -hmm. is now become iconic this it shows how much these people know right because they wanted to change the poster well that poster the iconic the endless summer poster is now in the american museum of history i mean it's it's oh, considered cool. it's considered like pop culture pop art history because it's so iconic you know with that that neon pink horizon and the brilliant you know yellow sun and stuff yeah it's a cool looking um, poster i like it a lot yeah but so the distributor that he chose was the one that said you know what leave everything as is we won't mess with the poster we won't mess with the movie just leave it and he's like all right you're the you're the guy then it, it reminded me you know, i was trying to think if i knew anything that it's sort of obviously videos develop like that on the internet now all mm -hmm. the time somebody posted right. it and it goes viral but i'm but before that in my lifetime when i was thinking it's not really it doesn't really apply to Blair Witch Project, right? They they yeah. released that in big theaters. It did have kind of a viral marketing campaign. Tried to, yeah. They tried to. But what I was thinking that was kind of like that was South Park. Because I remember South Park, the tape was getting copied and sent to like clubs and bars all over the country. And people were watching mm -hmm. that first short. And and I remember seeing it at a club in DC and being like, What is this like construction paper cartoon thing? That's is that on the Jesus versus Santa Claus? I, I don't even know what it was. I just saw yeah. it in the distance on the TV and I was like, what the heck is that? And then like yeah. a couple months later, it was on Comedy Central. Right. And I was thinking that probably is how this would have gotten around the country because because back then you couldn't do videotapes, right? You didn't right. have cheap videotapes right. to copy and send all over. You actually had to reel to reel. Yeah. It must have been difficult to reproduce or at least expensive. This is about as viral as something could be in 1964. Right. I would, or is it 64? 60, 64 is... Well, 64, 64 is when it was released in the theaters, yeah. We, you know, you had such limited content, uh, even up in the 70s when I was a kid. I mean, like if there was a movie that featured something that you liked, you made sure to watch it, you know, because, yep. you know, you didn't have... Now it's like, as you know, there are channels devoted to, you know, the most niche thing that you can imagine. Like, let's yeah. say repairing Timexes probably has its right. very own, like... Timex is from like 1950 to 1958. Like, absolutely. <laughs> like, it, it probably has its I'm own sure YouTube channel just for that, right? Yeah. But back then, it was like something came out, and you're like, oh, wow, I love to surf, or I want to know about surfing, or I, I don't I'm really interested in I this don't thing, think, you know? I don't think a kid today could understand no, it's, how little content there was out there. Like, I remember being a little kid 
and being really into dinosaurs and just not being able to come by images of dinosaurs whenever yes, I wanted to. Yes. So That's knowing right. I'd go over to somebody's house and I knew they had a book that had a picture of a dinosaur in it. And yeah. I'd go hunt that book down and flip right. the page and just, you know. Yeah. So if we wanted to see dinosaurs, we had, we had to watch those, those stupid clay dinosaurs on land of the lost. Claymation. Yeah. There sucked. was a claymation one. Yeah. yeah. They would play, they played, I remember exactly the movie you're talking about and they would yeah. play it at, the, at the library in our town oh, once every couple of months it was and terrible. i would go I would, I would make my mom take me to the library so i could sit and watch the dinosaur video <laughs> i remember the, the dinosaurs trying to get the cavemen like, like they're literally in the cave let's not worry about humans and dinosaurs living at the same time right, but the right, right. humans are in the yeah. cave the cavemen and then the dinosaur are trying to get them they're <laughs> just so bad yep. Yep. we didn't we didn't have a yeah. lot and so what we had though we would I mean, it was like when I was a kid. We, I didn't have a, you know, a lot of toys. My kids don't understand that at all because they've got literally boxes full. Yeah. But I remember, you know, I would get Hot Wheels. You look at my Hot Wheels from when I was a kid. I think I, I still have them. And they are beat to hell. I mean, they're yeah. scratched up, everything yeah. else, because those are the only Hot Wheels I had. Now right. they cost they cost 90 cents, right? Mm -hmm. Back then, they were like two bucks or something. And that was a lot of money back then. So I would get like one hot wheel and then just play the crap out of that one hot wheel all the time. I would jump it. I would, I would drop it off the ceiling or off the wall. I mean, just all kinds of crap. And so you look at them now and they're beat up, but that's because I played with those like crazy. And it was the same with content. You get, you would get one movie about surfing and that's all you're going to get is one movie right. about surfing. Right. So you right. watch that movie over and over and over. You memorize people that. People wonder, movie. people wonder how something like the star Wars holiday special could have ever happened. How right. could something that bad have ever happened? Right. But it was because you had a whole generation of kids that saw star Wars in the theater and there's no star Wars content available. Right. For three years. There's nothing. Yeah, there's you know? nothing. I right. don't think anybody today could imagine having to wait three years for anything. Yeah. It's, it's well, even just, like, yeah, because even like even like Lord of the Rings, they made all three movies at one time and released them once every three yeah, once well, every and year. Also, you know, for you could go years. and watch the first movie immediately. It came out on DVD yeah. like two yeah, that's months true. later. That's you a good could point. just start or watching it over Or even over VHS again before all. that. So yeah, it completely yeah, it was, different. Uh, yeah, totally different. I remember this girl went to my school. This is in the 70s. And mm -hmm. her dad was a doctor. And because they're a doctor, they had did a lot better than we were doing. She had a projector. Oh, that's and her cool. and her dad had bought uh Disney movies nice. on reel to reel. Like he bought nice. the film and there it was like the projector that you would have at school. Mm -hmm. But they would have like sleepovers with the girls. They would have a sleepover and they would watch a Disney movie. And I'm like, you watched a Disney movie in your house? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. They're like, yeah, yep. like on a movie screen with a movie yeah. projector? What? Yeah. You know? It's like it's like if somebody told you they they had been to the moon last week or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My dad used yeah. to take me to the theater to go see old old Disney movies when they were yeah. released. Like I remember Same seeing yeah. I don't know, Aristocats or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The I yeah, went to go yeah. see it when I was a kid. It was a big Jaren deal. was my son was was blown away by the fact that like I think um, Robin Hood, the Disney movie Robin Hood came out in the '60s, probably. And but mm -hmm. I saw it in the theaters. I saw it like in 1984 or 1983 mm -hmm. or something like that in the theater. Yeah, and he's like, like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> he thought that was crazy. Yeah, but, they um, used to re-release movies. It's crazy. He does. But... He does sort of think I'm I'm pretty cool because I got to see all the Star Wars and Indiana Jones first run in the theater. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so that makes me pretty cool. I saw them all except for Temple of Doom. My parents wouldn't take me to see Temple of Doom. They what? 
They decided it was too scary for kids. What? I was, oh my I was, gosh! I was like six when that movie came out. So that decided, one had a bad. That one did get a bad reputation. I'll say that it had a bad reputation, was, exactly. But that's why you wanted to go see it as a kid. You had to see it. If you didn't see it, you were mm-hmm. square, man. You know, I think there's a lot, a lot that explains the virology. I guess we could say of the. Uh, I don't want to say virility because that's t- something totally different. Virology mm-hmm. of the uh, of of this particular movie. That documentary, I think, being truthful, being exotic, but also just being. You know, content being really scarce on, on certain but also, things. But also surfing, I think, is like skiing. And people who are into it are really obsessed with it. When I when I lived in Boulder, I remember my friends were like, we're all going out to this bar. Some guy who I've never heard of, some famous skier, has a new video and everybody wants to watch his videos. And I was like, you're going to go to a, you're going to go out to watch somebody's skiing videos? I was like, there's nothing in the world that I would less want to do. Watch somebody. <laughs> but it turns out when you watch it, it's actually pretty mesmerizing and interesting. Once you, once you force yourself to sit down and watch it, it's actually pretty cool, you know? Yeah. They yeah. had these videos of guys getting dropped out of helicopters, you know, and just, mm-hmm. and just skiing down completely. Right explored tops of mountains and stuff which to me seems like suicide yeah that's true very entertaining to watch it actually if you're into that stuff then you're really into it yeah you sort of want to see it but something else though i just looked it up so that you know beach boys surfing their their very first song was 1961 okay so So the surfing craze is kind of big at the time right? yeah so i think he 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 got in there at at the right time he predates them Obviously, because he, he his first one came out, I think fifty eight or something like that, or maybe fifty six. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was in like the the mid to late mid fifties. So he was he was sort of already there when the surfing craze sort of caught up to him. So mm-hmm. I mean, he was in a really good spot. Here he is, a guy that does surf himself. He knows how to surf, and he also knows how to make these movies, and he's interested in making these movies. Yeah, I mean. I mean, you'd be stupid not to, right? To, I mean, that's just one and one makes two type of type of math, you know. But he sort of got there when when the when the Beach Boys took off because their their first let's see their first number one hit, Beach Boys. It might have been. It, I think it might have might have been in the late fifties, right? Did they have a song in like nineteen fifty nine or something? Nineteen sixty one was their first song. Sixty one is their first song. Uh, okay, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely and and like we said, there's those beach movies, right? You got all those Disney beach movies, basically. I think they're Disney movies. So anyway. in in nineteen nineteen January nineteen sixty three, their first top ten single was "Surfing USA." Sixty three. Yeah. This came out in oh, sixty four. Yeah. yeah. And in May sixty four, the same year that this movie came out, I get around was one of their first their first number one their first hit was i get around in 1964 so the beach boys were like right there surfing safari was 1963 i mean it's in this it's in the zeitgeist as they say right exactly i was gonna Um, say there i was gonna say there was something in the water apparently but i guess that's zeitgeist is probably a smarter way of saying that yeah it's definitely a moment for surfing for sure i mean people wouldn't have seen it before that it would have been you know, we talked about Mark Twain observed people surfing when he yeah. was in Hawaii. In Hawaii, in the yeah. Hundreds. Right. I mean, it was happening. It was a thing, but it definitely had a moment in the 50s and early 60s, I guess. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think there's part of that. You know, you're, so you're talking about the baby boomers that were really into it. And this, I mean, there's probably a lot that goes with it. I'm sure sociologists have broken this down, you mm-hmm. know. 10 ways from Sunday, if that's how the expression goes. But there's six things ways. like six ways from six Sunday. Ways from Sunday. Yeah. But you have like, you know, the rise in disposable income. You've got the rise in travel where people are actually mm-hmm. able to. You've got America is on top and the rest of the world is sort of looking up to the US. 
Right, um, right. Half of the world is half of the world is as undeveloped as Ghana, and the other half is is just recovering from from the war. Right, just recovering, and we so, we yeah. made all the money because we were untouched, and we developed mm-hmm. everything, and people everybody owes us money. So we're like premier empire at that time, uh, mm-hmm. sort of start of our empire, I guess. And uh, now you have all these kids that, like I said, had disposable income. I think the Mustang comes out in 1965, right? And the Mustang mm-hmm. was specifically targeting baby boomer kids who had money, who had, you know, wanted freedom. They wanted to go places. So this movie I mean, really taps into all of that. And there's a little bit of a, you know, you, you saw the, so the beatniks, we talked about that with on the road in the fifties, he had the beatniks in 67 would be the summer of love. So the hippies are about to take over. Right. But right. you've got the, re- the rebellion is starting. So the boomers are starting to rebel against their, their square world war two generation parents. Right. And yeah. surfing, surfing is a little bit there. You know, it's a little bit of something that, like, just know, the parents, fact of surfing, just the yeah. fact of surfing would have been a rebellion. Like doing something, right. I guess something that's just kind of recreational or something like right. that. I mean, you know, you don't learn to surf by going to the beach once a month. You you learn yeah. to surf by hanging out at the beach every single day. It's and a life, right? It's a life. Not, that's yes. not how the yeah. greatest generation, I think, saw themselves. They right. That's exactly right. People. Well, I mean, you mentioned it. I mean. Brown wanted to create a movie to show his parents or his mom because right. she didn't understand what he was doing. Yep. But something else you mentioned that I want to touch on. Uh, you mentioned how these guys were all dressed up for their for their flights, right? They're all dressed up, but do you remember like as soon as they get in the ocean when their hair would get wet? Do you remember how long their hair was? Like I'm sure they had they, no, it wasn't. The blonde guy had like hip, yeah, it was it was slick oh. back. Oh yeah, okay. he, he had hippie hair, kind of like the uh Kind of like the Beatles, like the mods, but they they just slicked it back. Yeah, so they see, have, I can't. I hear people refer to the Beatles as long haired, and I know, I'm, I know. you know, from having seen the actual yeah. hippies later in the decade, I'm like, what are you talking about? They're right, miles of long hair. You know, this is like like beatniks are sort of known for being unkempt and having long hair and stuff, but like you've seen what the beatniks look like, and they didn't really have long hair. They just to us they had normal hair, but to the World War II generation, you know, the, right. Squared off Pre-cut, and everything yeah. else. Yeah, I mean yeah. they 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 had long hair. So the guys, the guys who are in mission con- in the in the control room in the movie Apollo thirteen. That's that's, right. the, that's what you're supposed to look like. Those, those yes, exactly. Cuts. It's one thing we talked about a little bit. We talked about like how it's also sort of a travel log. I mean, not just yes. sort of totally also a travel log. Yeah, I thought one of the coolest parts of it was actually when they were inland. And they were in South Africa and they did the road trip from Cape Town to Durban. I thought so too. Yeah, that was cool. I was thinking, oh my God, I would I, that would be amazing. Could you do yeah. I don't even know if that would be safe today. On, on a dirt road? It. Yeah. <laughs> on, Basically well, dirt roads. I'm pretty sure there'd be paved roads yeah. to go across the country. But I just, with South Africa these days, I just don't know if that would be, I don't know. I could ask somebody, but that doesn't well, what, sound like it would be safe to me. What would, what would not be safe? Are you talking about militants? I think in some parts of South Africa, there's like a really high crime rate, and like you might run into okay. and yeah, yeah. See, like I don't know that. if that maybe I I'm exaggerating. I don't, reality, ex- but... I don't know if that existed back then because no, you know, well, there was an the, the apartheid state was making sure nobody yeah. was doing anything. Well, not, you know. yeah, not even that though. I mean, you go to rural parts of just continental Africa, people don't have guns. <laughs> you know, they don't have they don't have mm-hmm. the means to to do that. I don't think they. I don't know. Maybe there was a different morality at that time too that has, has it's also completely just, shifted. It, it, the Africa you're seeing, this is just a surface level impression for me, obviously. The Africa you're seeing in 1964 is still pretty much colonial. 
Yeah. And most of what we associate with modern Africa is post-colonial, right? It's like the, yeah. like you said, the spread of weapons, the weaponry is all the milit the revolutionaries getting weapons, and then the communists supporting one side and us supporting the other side, and then the complete breakdown of authority and warlordism and stuff like that. And it's yeah. Yeah. essentially it's like the growing pains of people actually governing themselves and not right. being these guys are benefiting from a really nice time when there's these, you know, colonial overlords telling people what yeah. to do. So it seems very peaceful, right. I'm sure. But clearly right. it's rooted in pretty nasty oppression. Like they went through Leopoldville on their flight. Apparently we didn't see it in the movie because there's no right. surfing there. But they mm -hmm. went through there and that that's named after a guy who's responsible for murdering like five yeah. million Congolese. Yeah, people. yeah it, was, it was pretty terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't, so I mean, this uh, is... Heart, Heart of Darkness is written about him. Uh, exactly. Yeah, well, yeah, Heart yeah. of Darkness. I think it's in the Congo, but I don't know if it's. I can't remember whether. I think it's, it's during. It's it's during his. Know, it's, I think it's yeah. during his reign. I think it it's what be. he did to get. Was it uh, was it rubber? Was it rubber tree? Uh -huh. was it rubber? Yeah. yeah, no, totally. I mean, had they gone to India, we would have seen colonial India, mm -hmm. you know, at the time and 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 so forth. So I guess the only one I really don't feel bad. There are only two I don't feel really bad about were New Zealand and Australia. Right. But I do. Yeah. I do sort of feel bad about. You know, watching it and 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 so forth. The trip, the trip across. I can't remember if they go across the North Island or the South Island, but they took another road trip over the island to get to a beach that was on the the. I guess it would be the east shore of the island, and they go over the mountains and they go fishing in the in the streams and stuff. Yeah, I yeah. was like, that's so cool. I'd watch. I would. I would read a whole book about road yeah, tripping yeah. through New Zealand. You know, New that's Zealand really at that time. Yeah, that's that was amazing. That was not something you hear a lot about. So, and I guess I guess that's one of the things about it. Like when you look at. When you have a travel log like that, is it? It's like totally unspoiled, right? Mm -hmm. We think of unspoiled by, you know, it's it's completely selfish notion. It just means that nobody else has ruined it for me, right? You know? right. <laughs> so right. I can go there and ruin it, right? And you right. know, and it's one of those things that we don't want anybody to come to go there. So don't tell anybody because I want to go there, and I don't want yeah. it to be messed up when I go, but nobody else can go. That's my national park philosophy. My favorite national parks are the ones that I'm the only guy that goes there. I, I love the <laughs> right, park. right. When I go when I go right. to Yellowstone or Yosemite, I'm like, can I can I just leave? This is this is yeah, horrible. yeah this, like is, all this these, is tourist you know, central. Yeah. There's all these Walmart people like you know thronging Yellowstone. I just really yeah, I just right. really wish it was I was by myself. But you know, yeah. it belongs to us all. It's you know the national park yeah. belongs to the people. So that's right. Unfortunately, that's right. the people the people are going to show up with their with their cargo ships. Yeah. And and worse but, the motorcycles. It was the last time I went to Yellowstone. It was uh, at the same time as the Sturgis rally, and it's a pretty oh, easy drive from Sturgis, to, and it was just broom broom all through the park constantly. Oh. Just, and and they're also obnoxious. They they were all like drunk and stuff. Where you're walking around looking yeah. at the geysers and like right. just just not not a lot of fun. But <laughs> I'm with you. Well, you're you're a national park nerd, so we'll just leave it at that. Definitely, definitely yeah. a national partner. That is true. So they dealt with a lot of, I thought, I think one of the parts that really stuck in my head was that visit to Ghana when they go to the beach and they're sort of show, like pe people there had never seen a surfboard yeah. before in their life. And so they're showing them how to surf and some of the kids start getting on them and surfing. And I thought for a second, it was going to be like that sequence in airplane. I thought it was going to be like they showed the they showed the guys the got the Africans had what a surfboard was and then they were going to be doing twists and flips with them immediately. <laughs> right, 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 it was, right. It was yeah. not. It was not that. It was. It was very much actually what you would expect. They could get up yeah. and stand on them, and that was about it. And and they were pretty impressed watching the guys surf. And but then when they left, you know, kids were body surfing. They found like um, so they're disassembling their houses, but it was like a plank of yeah. wood that you know they, yeah. Yeah, they yeah, you yeah. Know, started body surfing. And it was body surfing Ghana. That's pretty know. good.
I don't know if we're ready. Do you think we're far enough in to do the biggest surprise? Because mine's kind of about that, actually. I think so. We're, 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 yeah, we're getting there. Go for it. So this is my biggest surprise. I just kind of looked up on YouTube. Was there anything follow-ups to the Endless Summer, any interesting videos? And there was one guy watched this video, and he went back to the town where they filmed uh, the sequence in Ghana, visited mm-hmm. that beach, and went around talking to people to try to find, was there anybody left? who was around back wow, in those days. That's cool. he, said, uh-huh. he said the the average life expectancy in Ghana is 65. So Oof. everybody he talked to was like, oh no, everybody who was there would be dead. Oh by my gosh. But so, so they're going through and they're showing the video to some of the people. And there's a picture, there's a picture of, there's a close up of a, of a young man and he's called the head rope coiler. And he's like yes. doing, doing the nets with, I remember that. Yeah. I just watched it. And everybody yeah. said, oh yeah, that's this guy. He's still alive. He lives down the block. You can go see him. So they walked like three blocks and they interviewed this guy. And they, they're like, yeah, there's this video. And he's like, what video? And they're like, here. And they show it to him. And he's like, oh, my God, I haven't seen a picture of, of this guy and this guy. All these people are dead. And he couldn't believe he could see all these people. And he hadn't seen himself when he was 16 or whatever he was in that picture yeah. since then. It was a really interesting interview because he was talking about, yeah, so the village is called Labadi, but it's still there. And he said they actually tried to do surfing because they asked, you know, did you? He said, oh, yeah, I remember that day. Everybody tried to surf for like a couple of weeks. But we couldn't get it to work. We kept using boards that were too small. We couldn't get any pieces of wood that were long enough to surf. And eventually everybody just gave up on it. And and it was really sad because then they did like a pullback shot and they showed this town that nobody goes on the water anymore. It's all filled with garbage because it's essentially become this like terrible, you know, slum outlying settlement around Accra. And it's just, you know, which is a huge city today, millions of people there in, in the 21st century. It was neat to see his reaction to seeing himself as a young person, but it was also yeah. really sad. And that's where yeah. I that's where I got that thought of just the change in Africa over those years, yeah. which I've never been there. So I'm, I'm not the best person to comment on it. But yeah, there's there's a lot that we can do with that. I mean, you could talk about there's actually a book called I think it's called The Case for Colonialism. And and it's, uh, it's I want uh, I want to I want to go on the record of saying that is not the argument that I'm making. I think it's great no no no. I'm not I'm not saying you are. No, that's it's a professor. I can't remember. He's a somewhere on the West Coast, but he's a he's a professor of either history or sociology, something like that. And, and he and he talks about and he just gives bare statistics on things, but it's and it's and it's a wealth of things. And I and I'm not saying it's not problematic, and I'm not saying that it, it's it's not terrible in a lot of ways, but. You know, he gives just on paper and, and he and he actually uses he doesn't use strangely enough, he doesn't use Leopold and uh was it yeah, the Dutch? The Dutch as, as overlords. He uses uh Germans in Africa, like whatever colonies they had there. It's an interesting it's interesting, you know. And mm-hmm. I mean you can think about about oh, well, we can we can go down a whole road. I mean, because we can talk about, you know, England was a colony. Uh, at one time, and then they became colonists sure. uh, the, themselves. I mean, they were a colony of of Rome, right? Part of the Roman Empire. And, well, they were the a colony Rome's... of Rome, and then they were a colony of the Saxons, and before Saxons, Rome, right. they were probably a colony yeah. of whoever those people were that knocked out the ones before them, and you know, right. and just on and on and on. Yeah, yeah to so, some extent, that's always going yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. So, in any case, moving on. Uh, I think that's bad. That's what do we do with your surprise? Because that was really profound and and sad. So let's not let's not end on your surprise. Well, that was, there terrible. is a, there is a, there is a positive. There there was a okay. positive. They went What's an that? hour or two farther down the coast from the called Labadi, and there is a place called Busua Beach that is a a nice beach, and there's a surfing community there, 
And oh, there cool. was a video. They they he took videos of the guy who's the gun and surfing champion, who was like amazing. You're watching this guy was doing yeah. spins on the board and stuff. Really, really amazing surfer. Cool. And and was a native gun and like he was from there and and was yeah. and representing the country. So that was pretty cool. That was I have cool. a I have a really good friend from Ghana, and a lot of my students are from Ghana. Yeah, I bet um, that's true. Yeah, you know it, it's an amazing culture. Uh, I would love love to go to Ghana someday, but it's it's sad to see a lot of this rampant over population over industrialization mm-hmm. you know and it's no fault of theirs it's just sort of it's what happens when i guess you know when when colonialism ends it ends abruptly and there's no it's like it's like what they said about vietnam veterans why were so why were so many vietnam veterans like racked with ptsd and so forth why did it affect them so and mm-hmm. it's because typically like world war ii they had time to decompress. Like they brought them back to the States. They didn't just turn them back on the streets. Oh they had yeah. Them. That's an interesting, after, interesting after fighting, they did something else and they were still in the army and they did something else. And a lot of those guys in world war two didn't go home until well after the war. Yeah. But, but not but even because it, it's not cheap, even just what you do after it's literally probably physically, it took you yeah. 12 hours to get back from Vietnam to America. Yeah. And then you were just yeah. and, in America and, without any, and, without and, any and what they would do is they were, once your year was over, you were done. You're back out on the street. So, you know, a week ago, you're in the jungle trying not to step on a landmine, trying not to get shot, you know, seeing yeah. somebody die in front of you. And then now you're on a street, you know, in Detroit or something. It's like, I, how do you expect these guys to my act? Grandfather's, my and, grandfather's unit, when they came back from World War II, they took ships. They, they were on transport yeah. ships back. Right. And so it so, took so them probably another. They fought, they fought in Europe. The war ended. They probably had some occupation duties to kind of yeah, wind down right. a little bit. And then it was right. weeks going across the Atlantic yeah. or, you know, a week or two. I don't know how long it takes, but yeah. that was actually, that was actually, he said, so they, they could the sort of, guy. sort of work, work some stuff out. And yeah, the problem with, yeah. with a lot of the colonial powers is once they left, they left. We did that to Afghanistan. I mean, that's exactly what we did. We're like, all right, yeah. see ya. You know, yeah. you're on your own. Take care. And and they're like, what? <laughs> Next thing you know, you know, well, uh, I think ISIS or whoever runs it. But I mean, I, th- but that's I think what Afghanistan's a, lot of these- a little bit complicated because honestly, I think we were there about 18 years too long after our job was done. So I think we well, gave. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's gave them some not time. a lot of other things, but but oh. I'm just using that as a an analogy, right? I mean, I think yeah. if I remember correctly, the the England the English transfer of power in Jamaica took years. And well, then we they transferred the doctor. No, doctor. We no. did, we yeah. did, but they transferred the power, and, and Jamaica is a, is a really stable country, as was Hong Kong before. Well, Ghana, before, Ghana is actually no. Ghana is a really good case because Ghana is actually pretty stable. The government of Ghana is a pretty stable, but it's just I think this rapid industrialization, you know, and people just moving from being a rural, you know, I don't know what the correct, you know, third world country is what they used to call it, being that to being developed developing. They call it developing it was, country. Well, but before it was developing is what I'm saying. Before it was just like a rural place and it was living in the yeah. 1700s to some extent. Yeah. And then they got independence and they've moved all the way from that to, it's probably kind of like if you went to visit 1910s America and you saw the piles of garbage. Everywhere right, 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 right. Exactly. People, no, eventually that's exactly people in right. are probably going to start yeah. learning to take care that's of That's exactly better, right. You know? That's exactly right. Yep. That's exactly right. They just have to sort of grow into their democracy yeah. and freedom and so yeah. forth yeah well my biggest surprise was just i didn't realize okay i never knew the backstory in, in so far as making this other than he filmed these guys going around the world for a year but then after he filmed going around the world for a year mm-hmm. he took two years he went on the road 
and he sort of workshopped this, like you said. He he would right. do a like an on-site narration, nothing written down. He's like, oh, there's so and so. He's riding this great wave, blah blah blah. And so he said that you know for twenty mm-hmm. shows. So when he did the narration, he just did the same audio that he would do for the narration, right? Um, I thought that was cool, and just the whole idea. I mean, I'm I love the concept of bootstrapping a project. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. what I've always done. 90% of the time they don't turn out, <laughs> you know, but 10% of the time they do. And when they do, it's such a great story because, you know, it just, it just feels so good that Disney didn't make this, you know, Disney didn't say, I've got $5 million. Let's go around the world and follow some guys surfing. And Oh, while we're at it. Okay. Put a fake iceberg over there. We'll put a couple of yeah. penguins over here. You know, no, it was just a guy with a camera and a tripod that you saw in every scene. You know, uh, you know what's carrying funny? Carrying a tripod, you know? It's funny you said Disney because it just popped into my head that it reminds me of the Jungle Cruise where you go yes! around. Yeah. And the guys yeah. got like one dorky joke for every single thing that you pass. Yes. And they've been workshopping those jokes for yeah. 50 years. And know? now the backside of water. Yeah. Backside, yeah. yeah. He'll trade yeah. you uh, 10 of his heads for one of yours. One of yours. That's right. That's right. But yeah, it's a shame because yeah. nobody would ever make a movie like this today. Or they would, yeah. but it would go on YouTube, which thank yeah, God. Yeah, go on YouTube. Because that actually does give people some... Right. You can do some kind of guerrilla filming and things like that. And I think, I think if you were to do nice. something, you know, sometimes on YouTube, something like this would hit. And I think, yeah, you know, people make documentaries for YouTubes. My son watched a whole... Gosh, he's so into theme parks. This guy made like a 45-minute documentary for YouTube on mm. something just so obscure about some theme park that shut down and why it shut down and the backstory and jaron watched this was it that one in like, maryland with, by any chance there's a really no, famous one the, the forbidden no, forest or the enchanted forest no it, it was oh. it was something that disney tried and it failed at and so i don't know he's he is really in the theme parks but uh huh. you know he watched this with rapt attention you know for 45 minutes and like i said you could do a documentary on timex watches from 1952 you yeah. know and maybe even like, like a specific type, and you could make an hour-long documentary, and there would be people that would watch it. People would watch because it. there are people yeah, into that. The story of this in an analog world where this blew up, made right. twenty-five million dollars on a fifty-thousand-dollar budget, mm-hmm. and this guy—that's all this guy did. This guy did like three movies after that, or maybe two. He did a documentary about motorcycling, which is I apparently was going to say. Really had, I think the motorcycle one was pretty popular, but I, I don't. Yeah, know the motorcycle one was pretty popular. I can't remember the other. He did one more, and that's pretty much all he ever did, you know. And, and then mm-hmm. he became, he became like this, you know, legend in the surfing community. Yeah. And the surf- so he would, he did. That's sort of his whole world after that, because he made. He had an, appear- he had an appearance dollars. on SpongeBob. Yes, that's right, SpongeBob. Yeah, oh. that's right. Yeah, I need to go back and rewatch like, that episode. Yeah, I need to go yeah, rewatch that remember. episode. We we watched all those back in the day when Michelle was little, but I don't remember very well. That particular, if I remember correctly, that particular episode. I did research on that one because it turned out this one guy was voiced by Johnny Depp. And I, and I, huh? and I was like, oh, what? Weird. Yeah. Like that's the main really guy weird. was voiced by Johnny Depp. I thought it was voiced by this famous surfer, but it wasn't. Um, well, okay, we so decide, we'll decide whether we're toasting, well, I guess. Right. I think it's, it's your, your decision. It's my vote. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you do have to do a little bit of putting yourself in the shoes of people back in history in order to really appreciate this one. I recently listened to a podcast about scuba diving. And they were talking about Jacques Cousteau was not really the person who invented scuba. It did exist before him, but he did this documentary 
which was the pretty much the first underwater photography anybody had ever seen. And you right. go back and you watch that and it's like, it's cool, but it doesn't really blow your mind today. But you try to imagine what would that have been like to see that when that in the, in, right. I don't know, the fifties, I think it was. And if you do that with this and, and then you appreciate the viral nature of the campaign and stuff like that, I think this is, I think this is pretty cool. It's a pretty classic documentary. I'd say, I mean, this, you know, we could probably cast out the Nanook one because it's all BS or right. the one, the one where the uh, lemmings uh, were jumping off the cliff, but actually they threw <laughs> them all off the cliff. Yeah. That was really so terrible. That. God. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I would give this one a vote. This was, right. this was fun to watch. I found, like I said before, it's surprisingly entertaining to watch people just surf. That's not yeah. really something I would ever choose to watch, but I, I watched it and I was, oh, it's actually kind of neat. I could sit here and watch somebody surf for a long time. It's, it's, yeah. it's something I don't really know how to do and it's pretty compelling to watch it happen. So yeah, I think this one gets my vote. All right, cool. So we're going to, we're going to toast it. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Glasses up. There you go. All right. Yeah, we haven't actually done that in a while. It's pretty good. Jägermeister bottle makes it nice. <laughs> it does. It does. Well, cool. Well, that's that's all that we have for this. Uh, any yep. any last words about this? Are you gonna try surfing next time you? Uh, no, I do want I do want to give proper thanks to Old King Neptune before we close the podcast. Yes, yes. I think it's important. Old that King we Neptune. That. Yep. But yeah, otherwise, I think I think we're done. I think we'll 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 talk after we end the recording. We'll talk about what we're going to do next time. I think, but um. Don't give it away. No, this is all organic. We just ESP it. Okay. Right. Each other, yeah, as far as they know. All right. Well, cool. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us on yet another uh, uh, edition of Toasting Classics. I am Professor Dr. Clintlinier. I thought you said it was Assistant Professor. Isn't it an Assistant, assistant professor? professor? Assistant Professor okay. Dr. Clintlinier. Is it? Right. Is it? If I say Professor and Doctor in the same line, is that too much? Professor Doctor. Professor Doctor. Yeah, Professor Doctor. Lawyer, attorney, David MacArthur, Esquire. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. All <laughs> right. And, uh, cool. yeah, thanks for joining us. Thanks, everybody, for joining us in Toasting the Classics. Peace out. Peace. That's it for Episode 90 of Toasting the Classics. For those playing along at home, stay tuned to find out what we'll be drinking for our discussion of Kanye West's album, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. If you'd like to get in touch, please send us an email at toastingtheclassics at gmail.com. Send us show ideas, comments, complaints, and let us know the strangest place you've ever surfed. Check out my blog at theattractivenuisance.com and follow us on Twitter at @attractivenuisance. Our music was written by Michelle MacArthur. See you next time on Toasting the Classics.